0: Let's pray again. Father, thank you for uh, this morning and and just your great goodness to us. We do exalt you this morning, and we desire to exalt you every day of our lives by the way we live, by the way we obey you, by the way we uh, keep our faith in you alone. And so I pray that this morning, as we look at your word, that you would open it to us, that you would open our hearts to it, that we would hear from you this morning more than anything I have to say, that we would understand the words of Scripture as they, as they change us, as they transform us. May we be open to what you have to say. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. It's wonderful to finally be with you uh, as the senior pastor this morning. Uh, we have a lot to be thankful for, I'll tell you that. First of all, um, we've been the recipients of numerous phone calls, emails, and letters welcoming us here. Uh, we've received uh, helping hands to help move us in. We've received gifts of food and cookies and bread and uh, gift certificates to uh, restaurants and grocery stores and cookies. Wait, I already said that. Um, (laughs) uh, We've received a lot. We've received a lot from you and we felt very loved and welcomed here as we moved in. Uh, Very overwhelmed by your love. So thank you for that. I should say that first of all. Um, My desire this morning then to jump right into the scripture in a second here is... um, in your bulletin you do have notes for this message so if you want to pull those out but also on the very front of your bulletin there's a mission statement on the front and what I really wanted to do the first three weeks is just go over the mission statement you know three weeks we exist to connect people with God through Jesus Christ grow to be like Christ and serve others and I thought what better way to start preaching here than to say this is what we're about this is what the church is here for This statement on the front of our bulletin is our promise to the world. It's our promise to Three Lakes. It's our promise to surrounding communities. This is what we say we're going to be doing. So if we're not doing what's on here, then we've lied. So I thought this is an appropriate place to start with the front of the bulletin with the mission statement. So I thought this morning we'd start with we exist to connect people with God through Jesus Christ. Let's talk about connecting people to Christ. That's what we're here for. So... To start out, I want to talk like this. I think there's two kinds of people in our society. There's people that are a little more objective and people that are a little more subjective. Let me talk about them real quick. Let's be Objective Bob over here, okay? Objective Bob is someone who is very concerned with reason and intellect and proving it. He wants to know, as far as Christianity goes, Can you prove it? Is there good evidence for believing what you all believe? This is Objective Bob, he's a mind guy, he wants to think things through. If Objective Bob becomes a Christian, guess what kind of worship songs he likes to sing? Hymns. He loves the hymns because he's thinking about the deep theology in them and they're ministering to his soul. That's Objective Bob. If you talk about what kind of books Objective Bob likes to read? Maybe the, one that even, maybe the one that caught his attention and led him to the Lord was something probably like evidence that demands a verdict. He wants to read a book that shows the proofs of Christianity. Or, or maybe a book that I've grown to love, um, Seven Reasons You Can Trust the Bible by Erwin Lutzer. Give me the reasons this is a rational faith. Show me. And, and I'll buy into it. That's objective Bob. On his worst day, on his worst day, Objective Bob has no heart, all right? And I'm not saying all people that are objective have no heart, but, but Bob says, keep emotions out of it. Keep feelings out of it. Just give me the proofs, just give me the facts, and I'll take a look and I'll think about it and figure out what's truth and what's not, all right? On his worst day, Bob doesn't let feelings enter into things. Over here, we have subjective Steve, Okay? Subjective Steve. Now, Steve is a feelings guy. He's an emotions guy. He wants to know what feels right. Does Christianity make sense? Well, does it square with what happened in my past? Does it square with what I know about Christians? Do I have good feelings when I think about Jesus in the church? That's subjective Steve right there. How, How do I take things in? What have my life experiences taught me up to this point? And I'll look at those things and, and think. I'll still use my mind to think about them, but, but I'm going on what feels right to me. That's Subjective Steve. Subjective Steve would also say um, his, his, favorite, his favorite songs to sing in church. Guess what they are? They're the praise choruses, right? He'd sing songs like, Oh, How He Loves Us, right? Because it kind of repeats over and over. It's a beautiful melody that goes with it. And he's thinking about the word pictures in that, in that David Crowder song, um, um, Love's Like a Hurricane, I am, I am a Tree, Bending Beneath the Weight of His Wind and Mercy. He's singing that, thinking about how God's love is just overwhelming him. There's so much feeling and emotion there. And he loves worship courses. Now, his favorite books to read... He would like books like uh, Blue Like Jazz. I don't know if you read that book before, Don Miller. Don Miller wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz, and he's writing about our theology, but, it, but he's giving us experiences from his life that, that teach what that theology really means. It, it's this book of stories that teach theology. Oh, man, story is really cool with Steve. Steve would also probably like a book like... Um, the Shack, that was another popular book that's been out recently, The Shack. It's a fictional book where a guy experiences deep loss and he goes out to this shack in the woods and he meets with God himself. He meets with the Trinity. I don't, I don't recommend the theology in the book at all. I think there's some major problems with the atonement as it's presented in that book. But it's a page-turner. I mean, it, it, it's a riveting story, even if the theology is a little messed up. But it's definitely teaching theology. There's definitely theology in that fictional story. Steve would probably love sermons on narrative. Give me sermons on the Gospels. Give me Old Testament stories. Steve loves story. There's a lot of feeling right there. On his worst day, on his worst day, Steve says, truth's kind of relative. In other words, your truth's as good as my truth. You believe what you want, I'll believe what I want, and we're all okay. And if Steve becomes a Christian, the worst thing for Steve is to say something like, you know what? Muslims can believe what they want, we'll believe what we want, and we're all okay, really. Uh, we're not. But that's Steve on his worst day. I think we all exist on a continuum here. Okay, We all lean one way or another, but it's not fair to say emotions don't enter into our faith at all. Because, let's, let's admit it, when you open the Bible and you study it, you're using your mind but you're bringing all of your life experiences in with you. You can't turn those off. You can't say, this morning I'm going to read the Bible and turn off all emotion and just be a robot as I read. You can't do that. You're a person, and you have a mind, you have emotions, you have a will, and you bring all that when you read the Bible. Now, as you might have guessed, I think our culture is leaning this way, okay? Okay? I think we're leaning towards subjective Steve and we're compromising truth. We're saying truth is relative when it's not. Muslims and and Christians are not on the same level because we have the true faith. Okay? This, there's some issues here, but this is where our culture's leaning. But if they're leaning this way, is there a way we can engage them with the gospel so that we don't compromise truth, but we reach them where they're at? That we reach the Steves and the Sallies, as subjective as they are, with the gospel. That's what I want to take up this morning. So if you would turn to John chapter 9, that's what we're going to talk about. John chapter 9. Steve would love this story. In John chapter 9. Now, Steve loves questions more than statements. That's kind of a postmodern, subjective sort of thing, you know? Uh, And uh, so in light of that, I don't usually do this, but uh, every point I'm going to make is going to be in the form of a question. Because Steve loves questions. If you love questions, maybe you're a little bit like Steve. Um, We'll see. We're looking at John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. This is the story of Jesus healing a blind man. Now, I'm sure you've all heard this story. Uh, if you've been in Sunday school for most of your life, like me, you've heard this. Jesus heals a blind man, and then he goes and the Pharisees and say, Who healed you? You know, they're, they're getting all angry, and, and they're mad at Jesus for healing. And, and uh, here it is, verses 1-7. through seven. Verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Seeing. The first thing that strikes me about this passage is the disciples see this man that was born blind and and they see it as a good opportunity for what? To help him? To give him money? No. They see it as a great opportunity for a theological discussion. We've got Jesus here and he knows everything. He's our wise rabbi. So Jesus, who sinned so that this man was born blind? Him or his parents. Because if he's blind, somebody had to be sinning. There's got to be sin involved here. We're like sin detectors, okay? (laughs) And somebody sinned. And uh, Jesus doesn't look at him like that at all. He looks at this guy as an opportunity to display the glory of God and the work of God, to shine the light. And of course, in this story, as you know, Jesus calls himself the light of the world. And it's supposed to be, he shines light on the blind man. But he also shines spiritual lights. The blind man sees the Savior. Okay, there's a wonderful little thing going on there with light in this story. But Jesus sees him with compassion. It's not as, an oh, let's talk about this guy and figure out the theology behind it. Let's do the objective thing and talk about all the ins and outs of his blindness and sin. He doesn't do that. He sees him with emotion, with compassion, with with everything this man needs, this is a chance to shine God's light in this man's life and do something amazing for him and for everyone around to see it. So, first question this morning, and next slide, is, are we, as a church, obsessed with sin or with mercy? Are we obsessed with sin or with mercy? Because as I read the Jesus of the Gospels... He dealt with sin, and most clearly in, in, the, in the sin in the religious leaders' lives. you saw a lot of that. But when it came just to everyday tax collectors and sinners, I see a ton of mercy and compassion. You're in need? I want to show you the light. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. And I want to shine on you. I don't want to be the church that's known for everything that we're against. Oh, you know Three Lakes Church? They're against this and this and this and they hate that a lot. (laughs) I don't want to be known for that. I want to be known for everything that we're for. And yes, we are going to talk about sin and that's going to make people uncomfortable. I get it. I get it. But I want to be the church that's more than anything else, we're known for what we're for. And we are for the mercy of God that covers over our sin. That's who we are. You have a verse in Romans in front of you. I'll call your attention to that really quick. If you ever read Romans 1, and I think I alluded to this the day that I candidated um, the Sunday that I preached. If you ever read Romans 1, you get this, this feeling of God's wrath is being displayed from heaven against the sins of mankind. And, and, and Paul's going. I mean, he's got a list of sins. And he mentions homosexuality very clearly in Romans chapter 1. Men have given up Um, natural relations for this what is unnatural and I can see the Jewish person reading this I can see the Jewish person in Rome reading this and going Paul let them have it you know give it to those Gentiles they need this in Rome they need it and we need it in this culture no doubt but then you get to Romans chapter 2 and Paul turns the tables and if you've always read Romans chapter 1 to see what Paul thinks about homosexuality you owe it to yourself to read Romans chapter 2 you really do. You owe it to God to read Romans chapter 2. Check out chapter 2, verse 1. After all of the sin and all the stuff God is angry about and all of the judgment in Romans 1, Romans 2 comes and it says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? Not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? repentance we have to talk about the bad news to get to the good news I understand that we have to say that sinners do go to hell and that God does have wrath for them on the last day but we quickly move to the mercy of God the love of God that says I don't want you to go to hell I desire that none should perish come to me and I will give you life I will give you this living water you'll never thirst again We move to the mercy of Christ that would die on a cross for us dirty sinners. So are we obsessed with that mercy? Or do we like to just go off on sin? We talk about sin and talk about sin and talk about the way the world is. Or do we pray and weep with the sinner that's going the wrong way? If you know someone that's living in darkness, is your reaction to that person you know, more than just anger that, that, that they're doing what they're doing and, and, and they're living a certain way, or is it is it mercy? Is it desire for them to see the light of Christ? This is what God is doing in us, and kindness leads people towards repentance. Second Corinthians chapter three. Uh, does a, Paul does a lot of very interesting comparisons with the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. You don't have to go there to this morning, but in chapter 3, verse 9, he calls the Old Covenant the ministry of condemnation. And he calls it glorious, too. Glorious condemnation. Here's the Old Testament law, Ten Commandments, you'll never meet up to it. You'll never match it. You're condemned. Right? That's a good use of the law, actually, to say we don't measure up. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, we haven't been given the ministry of condemnation, have we? We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, that God is reconciling the world to Christ. You've got to tell the bad news, but the good news is our message, and I want to be known as a church that majors on the good news of Christ. Because one thing Steve will sniff out in any church that he goes into Steve will sniff out the judgmental people. And he'll just say, you know what, they're all hypocrites because they all sin too. And that's pretty much the truth because we all sin. We might as well own up to it. But we're growing in holiness. We're being transformed day by day by the mercies of God. So, here it is. By the way, the Romans 2 thing also encourages us to look at our own sin more than other people's sin. I think when Jesus said, Um, the plank and log thing, you've got this log in your eye, this two by four sticking out of your face and you're worried about the speck of sawdust in in your brother's eye. Um, I've always wondered about that. Did Jesus really mean that I'm like murdering people and and my brother over here is just telling a little white lie? Like am I doing really bad stuff and he's doing really small stuff, that's why that's a speck? Or did he mean that when I consider sin in general, my stuff should all look ugly? every sin that I do should look like a plank. And I should show my brother a little more grace about his speck. Even if his speck drives me crazy. I'm not sure about that. That's not the official teaching. I just wonder about that. I just wonder. All right. Secondly, let's keep going in our story. So the man is healed. The blind man is now the formerly blind man. And he goes... And, he, and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, start interviewing him. What happened to you? Tell me the story. Who healed you? Was it on the Sabbath? You know, all, all these different questions, right? I want to jump into verse 24. So if you jump forward a little bit to verse 24. This is part of the interview. Okay? The second interview, if you will. Verse 24. A second time they, the Pharisees, summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know that this man, they're talking about Jesus, this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I told you already, you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. We'll pause there for a second. What this man does is just simply say, I was blind and now I see. Amazing grace. I once was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. He just tells a story. So to minister to subjective Steve over here, we have to ask ourselves a question. Are we telling our story? Point two. The good, the bad, the ugly. Are we telling our story? On the next slide. We'll get it up there. Um, The good, the bad, the ugly. Because Steve wants to hear what Christ has done in our life. In fact, he probably cares more about what God has done than what we believe theologically. He probably doesn't need the statement of faith right off the bat from us. As important as that really is. What we believe is of importance. Watch your life and doctrine closely because you'll say both yourself and those and your hearers, Paul says to Timothy. Doctrine is important, but Steve wants to know, how's it working out for you? Yeah, I know you believe all that stuff, but how's it working, really? So we tell our story. We talk about our failures. We talk about the times when we feel like we've let Christ down but he's given us the mercy to keep going. We talk about the old life before we got saved. That scary place that we don't really like to think about sometimes. We tell Steve or Sally about that. They say, really? Christ did that to you? There was a guy that got saved in our church in Watoma. He was in jail and he just picked up a Bible and started reading, you know. And uh, he got saved while he was in jail. He was a drug dealer. And... Uh, Young guy, young guy, early 20s. And he, he got radically saved. And you could just see it on him when he came to church. I mean, this guy has changed. We used him in the youth ministry. He shared his testimony to kids. Kids got saved in the youth ministry. I love this guy. <laughs> I remember going on a missions trip with him. We were, in, uh, we were in Florida. And I remember sleeping on a church floor. And I, I, I would wake him up in the morning. He, he was so full of joy. Okay, This guy is so full of joy. I would wake him up at 6 a.m. to make breakfast in the morning. For, for, the, for the mission trip we were on, I'd wake him up and he would literally go like this and he'd go... He, he, would, he would have a smile from the first second. And it's like, my goodness, what would what happen to you, right? And then when he tells his testimony to kids, he says, I was a drug dealer. And kids say, no way. He would say, I was very ang- a very angry person. I was very unhappy. And they'd say, no. What, the kids would not hardly even believe him. Because he was so full of joy, even at 6 (laughs) a.m. I don't know, I don't know, but that guy was radically changed. And some of you have a story like that. Let's tell it. Let's tell it. And when people say, no way, you say, oh yeah, that was me. That was me. And maybe your story is just a week old and you say, you know what? Last week I prayed to Jesus, and this is what Jesus did. I love doing that. I love sitting in, in the barber chair, you know, and, and you've got to talk to this person for however long it takes to cut my curly hair. And, uh, and they're trying to get it straight, which is really hard. And so I have them there for quite a while. And uh, sometimes I'll talk about how God's answered prayer. I remember talking to one lady about a prayer that I prayed, and God Im- immediately just started answering it. And she's like, that's really cool that God did that. Just, just tell your story. The good, the bad, the ugly... Because subjective Steve and subjective Sally need to hear what God's doing in your life. They need to know that it's real. Anybody here uh, married? uh, Let's let's say, how many of you here are married? You've been married for 50 years at least? 50? Anybody? Oh, yes. How about 60? 60 years married? Oh, yes. Dare I say 70? Okay, 60 something it is. Let me tell you, your story, I want that story, okay? I mean, I really do. I want that story. Whatever you did and how you trusted God to be faithful to you in your marriage and make this work through ups and downs, because I know there's ups and downs, I want that story. You have a story to tell. Young people need to hear it. Man, do they need to hear it. Let's tell our story. The good, the bad, the ugly. By the way, um, just, just a little side note for those of you that like thinking about these kind of things. I gave you the Second Kings passage where Elisha tells Naaman to, to go wash himself in the Jordan. He'll be healed of leprosy. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but that's just a little footnote here. Kind of an interesting thing because I believe this story echoes that story. And one of the things in verse, um, I think it's 17, that, that the blind man calls Jesus a prophet I think there's an echo there. Elisha's the prophet who spoke the words of God. This is Jesus the prophet who speaks the words of God. Maybe in your own study this week or if you're in a sermon-based small group, you may want to pick that up a little bit and look at that a little bit. But I think this story echoes that story. And in both, you have a prophet of God. So, moving on though, let's go to verse 30. Are we there? Here we are. Verse 30. Verse 30. Now, the Pharisees just said, we don't know where Jesus comes from. We don't know. Verse 30, the man answered, now that's remarkable. I love this guy's sense of humor, don't you? Now that is remarkable, he said. (laughs) This guy must have been honoring, you know? Blind his whole life. He's probably tripping people and being like, you know, wasn't me. (laughs) Wasn't me. I don't know. I don't know. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes then he gets theological. Here it is. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will, just like Elisha. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now, this is very important. And if you're subjective Steve or subjective Sally, that is, you're more emotion-based, more experience-based, less intellectual than objective Bob over there, You really need to hear me out here. Uh, Number three in the slides. Are we measuring and evaluating experiences that we have according to Scripture? Are we evaluating everything that happens to us, everything that we believe, everything that we are according to Scripture? That doesn't always sit well with subjective Steve. He wants to say that your truth is as good as my truth. We're all okay here. Just go with it. No. We go with the scripture. That's our grounding in the authority of the word of God. So, we measure our experiences according to scripture. You know what? Um, You have a passage in front of you in Peter. If you look at that real quick. This is Peter talking about Experiencing, experiencing the glory of God on the mountain. He says, We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain, more certain than seeing Jesus on the mountain, and you would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart's Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter says, I saw Jesus on the mountain. I saw Him in His glory. But you have the word of the prophets made more certain. Seeing Jesus in His glory, word of the prophets. Did you see the deep respect that Peter has for Scripture. Think about Jesus. Jesus talks about the the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, right? Uh, Rich man and and Lazarus is poor. They both die. The rich man goes to a place of torment. Lazarus goes to paradise with Abraham. And Jesus is telling the story. And the rich man says, Abraham, if you could just send Lazarus back to warn my family, back from the dead, so that my family doesn't come to this place of torment what does Abraham say they have the prophets let them listen to the scripture no no no, no. rich man says they, they, they have the prophets they, they don't listen to them and Jesus says if they don't listen to the prophets they won't listen to a man who's come back from the dead guy coming back from the dead that's some good proof about God Scripture. You see what Jesus does? He elevates the Bible as the main authority for what we believe and who we are. Nothing trumps Scripture. That's our final authority in all life and all matters of godliness. That's in our statement of faith too in the free church, by the way. That's it. So, if you're looking at life and saying, well, I feel like God wants me to do this, I feel like He wants me to do that, I feel like God told me this on Monday... I don't deny that the Holy Spirit works and and puts impressions on our heart, but do you measure them against Scripture? Because sometimes our emotions can get the best of us, and what I want to do and what I think God's telling me can be two different things. I measure what's going on in my life to Scripture. And you know what? There's something beautiful about this because it really turns in the subjective person's favor. Faith. Faith. I believe the scripture is the word of God. Can you prove it? 100%? Can you prove that God exists 100%? Have you seen him? Did you see the risen savior? There's an area of subjectivity here where I believe because I believe and God has shined his light on me and I know it's true. There's power in it. I know it's true. And you can't talk me into it. I just believe it. There's an element of that in our faith. I think, we need to, I think we need to be okay with that. I accept the Scriptures as the Word of God. I know there's proofs. I've read the books. I know we have a hundred reasons to agree that this is the Word of God. But I accept it regardless of whether you found a mathematical error in 2 Chronicles 3. Okay? I really do. I really do. And subjective Steve needs to hear that too. Faith. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas. Thomas says, I need proof. Objective Thomas. Give me the proof. Okay, here here you are, Thomas. But blessed are those that have not seen and yet believe. But I say all that to say, let's make sure that all that we are and all that we do and all that we know Is measured against the authority of the Word of God. And Steve needs to hear that. All right, lastly, let's look at verse 34. The results of this man's connection to Jesus are in verse 34. Here it is To this, the Pharisees replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. Ouch. (laughs) How dare you lecture us? The objective (laughs) know-it-alls. And they threw him out. They threw him out of the synagogue. You're done here. You're like a Gentile to us. You are out. Excommunication. You're not coming back. Subjective Steve needs to know something. The fourth question in the slide is, are we explaining the cost of discipleship with words with our lives? Are we explaining the cost of following Jesus? You heard it this morning. You heard it from Dr. Pat. You heard the story of Lillian getting spit on. There's a cost to following this Jesus. And I know people aren't going to spit on you in America. And and I love that about this country. I love our religious freedom. I don't know if it's always going to be that way, but I pray it is. For the sake of the gospel to go out under freedom is a wonderful thing. But are you willing to be mocked? Are you willing to be called anti-intellectual because you believe this book? Are you willing to receive all of that from people? Are you willing for family and friends to call you the holy guy and not invite you to their parties? Are you are you okay with your friends not inviting you to things because you just must be more righteous than they are? Are you ready for that because that's part of being a Christian? Sometimes you do feel like you walk alone in certain places. You may be the only Christian at your workplace. That can be really lonely. And it's day after day of hearing the same darkness from your coworkers. Being a Christian is not easy, but in your weakness is the power of God. I've given you like four points this morning, four questions to consider. I have 26 more. Do we have time? Oh, wait, let's do it like this. Here's my last 26 points. Look at 2 Corinthians in front of you. You have it in your notes there. 2 Corinthians 6.3, we'll let Paul make the last 26 points. Here's Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.3. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, impurity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known, yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. Going out of your house in the morning and getting beat on by Muslims and getting spit on. Was there 26 there? I didn't count. I'm sorry. I don't know. This is the faith. This is the faith. And subjective Steve needs to hear that life isn't all rosy once he comes to Christ he will have inner peace and inner joy like he's never known he will have those things but he's going to get some flack he's going to get satanic attack parable of the sower makes that super clear that if you give your life to Christ satan loves to come like a bird and just pluck that seed up satan loves to send persecution your way as soon as you think you're in here it comes Don't tell Steve life's rosy once you accept Christ. Because life's hard. But God is good. And God will be with Steve and with Sally every step of the way. And that's the amazing thing that you tell Steve. You take up your cross and you follow Jesus, and you realize He's with there, shouldering the burden with you. Steve needs to know the cost of discipleship, he needs to know this is not just a club. This is a group of transformed people that are doing life together under the lordship of Christ, shouldering our crosses. Because we all have one to carry. What's yours look like? Let's conclude here. I have an image, uh, the last slide. I don't know if you've seen the movie. Um, This doesn't tell you anything about what I'm about to say, but unless you've seen the movie. Um, There's a movie called uh, Inception. It's a movie about a thief that can go into people's dreams and steal information out of your brain. Objective Bob fears that. But um, anyway, <laughs> he can go into your brain, he can go into your dreams and, and steal information from you and so it's kind of like the movie takes place in a dream. It's sci-fi, it's interesting, it's very postmodern, it's it's even very subjective, you know, in the way you see the movie. I'm watching it in Stevens Point right outside uh, the college campus at the theater and I'm sitting there with a bunch of college students, okay. and you get to the very last scene of Inception. And something happens in the last scene of the movie, this is the last scene, that makes you question everything that you've seen up until that point. And and, and you're like on a cliffhanger, and you're waiting for the resolution, and you're watching and watching, and something's going to happen, you're going to resolve this conflict, and then the movie screen goes black without resolving it. And the people in the theater with me were like, Oh! I mean, everybody is gasping. And the girl behind me says, Wait, what just happened? <laughs> and, uh, and that's it. And then, and then you're supposed to go and have your burger or wherever you want to go and you talk about the movie. How do you think it ended? Sounds very subjective, doesn't it? What do you think happened? Oh, subjective. Steve loves that. But you know what I find interesting about this movie? and about uh, subjectivity in general. I admit that I have emotions and I can't turn them off when I read scripture. If you want to know which way I lean as a person, I lean this way. I'll just, just be honest, I lean this way. But I have to admit that I got a lot of emotions I bring with me. But Here's the interesting thing about subjectivity. There's these websites people have started about this movie Inception and they discuss what they think happened And people say, this is what I think. This is how you can trace this idea through the whole movie. Let me explain to you what really happened. But you know what I love? So many people comment. I mean, there's hundreds of comments, maybe thousands. And people say, "What what did the director intend? He wrote the movie, Christopher Nolan. What did he intend when he wrote that? What was he thinking? I believe in the heart of subjective Steve and subjective Sally, they long to know what the director thinks. And as much as they want to create their own truth and all truths relative, I believe there's a deep longing inside them to know what the writer of their life says, the creator and maker of them and their souls. I believe they want to know what the director thinks. And we can tell them what Jesus thinks. Let's do that as a church. Let's connect people to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, you've given us a message of life and hope and peace, and we want to share that with the world. Your message is unlike any other. And so I pray that you, light of the world, would shine on this church, that we might reflect your light as the moon reflects the sun to shine on the people of this area. I pray for Dr. Pat and Lillian and others in Egypt that are suffering, that they would shine the light of the gospel of Christ on the people there that need it so badly. May we as a church fulfill our mission and keep our promise to connect people to God through Jesus Christ.